Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Off the Pulpit. I'm Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We are three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. Again, really excited to have you. Whatever platform you're listening on, thankful that you're here. Couple things. Uh, I know people have DM'd us. We haven't done the mail dog in a very long time, but we promise we'll do the mail back for the next episode. So again, if you have any questions of any sort, uh, feel free to DM us on Instagram on Off the Pulpit. It's just at Off the Pulpit. And we'll try and answer any of those questions in our next mailbag in our next episode. But as you guys could tell the tile today, um, this is something that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. And I've been uh, kind of baiting uh, the other two to talk about. But yeah, we're going to talk about uh, the Charismatic Church. I think it's an interesting thing to talk about because it's a very interesting subset of church culture, of, of charismatic churches, supernatural gifts. But I think before going anywhere, because I know some of our listeners are in just different bubbles and different types of churches. Um, I think one question I want to ask you guys, and either Jason or Tom, you can answer this. Like for you guys, what defines a charismatic church, and what's the spectrum of charismatic churches? If that makes sense, I think that would be helpful for our listeners. Yeah, I could define the spectrum if you could define the charismatic church, because I don't know the charismatic churches. I know the okay. theology, though. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, well, okay, I, I'm going to share my background a little bit, but I had a stint, a small two-year window in a, not a charismatic church, but a very charismatic movement. I think the charismatic church, if you use that term right now, probably refers to a church that is heavy on the supernatural gifts of the spirit, um, really active in worship. Like if you go to a worship session in these churches or conference, it is a totally different experience than an evangelical church, let's just say. Um, they're also really uh, active in ministries of like public, like so homeless ministry, evangelism, spontaneous healing. And that's one thing we'll get into that I appreciate that they're really active in, in the community and the world. And I think more than anything, what defines them is that church runs off of the supernatural gifts for better or for worse, more than the Bible, uh, uh, actually, I don't know, we'll, we'll get into that, more than, more than the scripture, more than anything, it's it's that what fuels the church, so to me, that's, I think, what defines it, mm-hmm. I don't know, Jason, anything else to add? Yeah, I mean, definitely, I also had a uh, brief stint in a charismatic church. Oh, I did not know this. Yeah, hyper like hyper-charismatic, um, a lot of emphasis on uh, speaking in tongues. Yes casting out demons yes um heal you know supernatural healings and yes. yeah you're right like it in some you know in some sense that was the focus and i would say even the metric by mm. which you know um your spirituality was evaluated you know how active were you in these spiritual gifts you know i think at that time the pastor might have even said like explicitly that you know speaking in tongues was actually like a measure measurement of how close you were to God. And so um, that was definitely my experience. And, you know, very, uh, a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit, um, specifically like the supernatural aspects of the Holy Spirit. Um, A lot of emphasis on like big, you know, revival experiences, a lot of emotions. Um, That's what I remember personally. Mm -hmm. That's helpful. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. from my understanding, I don't, I never attended a charismatic church, but I read a lot about the charismatic theology. And to me, it seems like it's based upon how you answer these questions on where you lie in the spectrum. Like, do spiritual gifts, and by gifts meaning the miraculous gifts, do they exist? Is there a baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do you practice worship? And what do you, what do you think the gift of tongues are? And obviously there's more to this, but those are kind of like the four basic categories that I see. Mm. If you are uh, a cessationist, you would say there are no spiritual gifts today, or at least the miraculous ones. There is no baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Worship, you kind of, you don't practice spiritual gifts in worship. And tongues, that's not a spiritual thing. That's just human languages. Versus on the other spectrum, if you're more on the charismatic Pentecostal side, spiritual gifts, the miraculous ones, they are real. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit that is necessary. Uh, the spiritual gifts are emphasized in worship, and tongues are an ecstatic angelic language. And so those seem to be like the broad mm. spectrum. I do think there is a nuance in the middle where you kind of have 
uh, with on the more charismatic side. Uh, they're not. They, I hear different terms like third wave or, or whatever it might be, but pretty much the spiritual gifts they exist. Uh, they don't believe a lot of times in a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, spiritual gifts, it could be there, but maybe not. And the tongues are angelic, but it just seems to be less emphasized in this camp. This is like Sam Storms. This is even like John Piper. Like kind of more like open to the gifts. But then there's also on the other side where it's not necessarily sensationist, but continuationist, where the spiritual gifts are possible. Uh, there is no baptism of the Holy Spirit. There can be spiritual gifts in worship, but it's kind of more of a cautious thing. And then it's kind of almost like an option between is it human or angelic languages. And so I think those four categories are kind of like however you answer your, those questions will determine where you lie in the spiritual gift camp. Mm. And this might be helpful to you to like name and Tom already kind of did this, but within the church spectrum, I feel like the most charismatic you can get is Bethel, IHOP, um, any other orgs. I think contend is it with contend is more of an, uh, a, a ministry. Um, I think John MacArthur is the ultimate cessationist. <laughs> and then you get every, you get everyone in the middle. Uh, I think Mark Sayers is someone that probably is like right center of charismatic churches that that we talk to, right? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, with that too. Or one question too, like for baptism of the Holy Spirit, because I never flush it out completely. Would that be like an experience outside of water, where you're just like possessed by the Spirit, and that's your baptism? So I hear two things. Uh-huh. And you guys could correct me if you heard something different. On the more charismatic side, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's necessary because it's an indwelling of the Spirit in your life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, you know, to me, it's like, wait, as soon as you profess faith in Christ, that's when the Spirit enters into your heart. But then I know some of my more charismatic friends, they'll say that, no, no, you, you, get, you place your faith in Christ, but there's a moment where the Holy Spirit comes into you that's like kind of almost distinct. And so th- therefore the manifestation of these spiritual gifts, it's almost like a proof of salvation, or it feels like that sometimes in some camps. I know that's only more the extreme side. What I hear from other people, though, is the bat- you know, you could be a Christian, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's actually a uh, kind of like an awakening of the gospel, mm-hmm. where you might be a Christian, but you know, you see sometimes Christians where they're, they place their faith in Christ, but they're kind of lukewarm in their faith. Yeah. But yeah. then they have like this awakening, whether it be on a mission trip or at a retreat. They were Christians before, but now the Spirit has awakened their souls and they've been baptized by the Spirit. And so that's kind of something that I hear is uh, the two ways the baptism of the Spirit works. Mm. No, that's helpful. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the nuances and, and what we think about that in a little bit. But that's helpful to flesh out. Um, so really quickly, too, within that spectrum, where do you think your churches and your ministries that you're related to lie? Uh, which I think will be a good... I don't know, indicated for our listeners, for all three of us. I, I know for our church, we probably lie more on the, if I had to categorize it, the continuationist category, mm-hmm. where uh, we're not cessationists. We'll never talk about the gifts have ceased or, and emphasize how there are no gifts and it's all crazy. Like when I read my Bible, it seems like, hmm, doesn't really seem explicit about the miraculous gifts, whether they have ceased or the continuation of it seems like it's still something that could possibly be there. And so at our church, that's something that we will talk about when we bring up the spiritual gifts as it's possible. Uh, it might be even needed sometimes, the miraculous gifts that are there. Yeah. But practically speaking, if someone started to practice the spiritual gifts in our church, it would not be probably warmly embraced. <laughs> it would be more like, you know, oh, what's going on here? Because I think culturally it's still kind of, uh, we're, you know, we're more reformed. And so naturally when we see that, even though theologically we accept it, I'm sure like culturally it's kind of different for our church, but we would be more on the continuation side. We uh, are open to the gifts, but you probably just won't really see it in our Sunday worship. Mm, Helpful. Yeah, pretty much exactly the same uh, as Tom. And I I would say personally as well. I think I'm right around there. Um, I feel like uh, I would be a continuationist in the sense that, you know, I think spiritual gifts... Um, you know, are I actually think they they're still real? I think in some dif- in some contexts more than others, they are more normative. You know, like I, I I can tell you, and we talked about it on previous episodes. To be honest, um, like when I was on missions, overseas missions, it it just has a different vibe, and it doesn't feel if it doesn't feel as strange. Um, for some reason, um, I don't you know. Um, as if I were to see it, let's say, 
somewhere here in America. Um, and I would say if you were like, our, our church is really interesting because I think, you know, uh, our church is full of cynics and skeptics. So I think like, uh, and I can tell you because we just did like an alpha course at our church where we asked people, do you, do you believe God still heals today? Mm-hmm. There was a lot of, uh, I don't know, like, uh, I'm not sure about that. That just seems a little uh, too out there, you know, seems a little too mystical. But then at the end of that session, we were like, uh, does anyone want prayer for like any physical or emotional healing in their lives? And every hand was raised. Yeah. So in some sense, it was like there is maybe a certain level of like mm, like a caution, maybe even a hesitation. But I don't think people discount it. Um, you know, I think they there there's still a sense in which, you know, they believe that these supernatural things happen. Um, you know, they believe that these spiritual gifts are are still there. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting though. Like at our church, you know, people who who go to our church who are listening to this are will probably smile because at our church, if someone raises their hands during worship, they're like, "Ooh, that's pretty charismatic right there," <laughs> you know. Um, and and to be honest, like I, I I agree with what Tom said. I think sometimes it's needed, and that, actually, that's a culture um, we're. I wouldn't say intentionally trying to break, but I think the stigma around expression and mm. um, you know ex, you know expressing emotion, you yeah. know, I, and I guess I'm sure we'll talk about this later on in the episode, but kind of understanding the differences between emotionalism and emotion. You know, mm. seeing emotion as a gift, you know, as a part of our nature as as human beings and learning how to express that in a healthy way, um, I think is something we're actually trying to unlock um, in our community. Mm. Healthy is a key word, which we'll get into. Uh, I might be leaking already. I think for our church, uh, we're the same. I wish, you know, so if you're listening, you know, the one regret I might have of making this episode is we didn't bring a charismatic guest on. And in the future... Anyone out there, we'd love to have you on to talk about this. But my church is the same. We're a continuation in this. Like, we're open but cautious to the gifts. I personally, though, want to be cessationist uh, because I feel like I was, like, traumatized by the supernatural gifts practice, mm. right? And I'll get into that a lot, too, in a little bit. But, yeah, personally, like, I think because I've seen, yeah, I, I could say, like, the abuse of some of these gifts from these churches, um, I, I lean cessationist just because... I haven't seen much good come from these gifts, if that makes sense. Yeah, so with that, I'm leaking, as you can tell. So I think it'd be good, uh, maybe not Tom, but maybe me and you, Jason, can just share our own background in the supernatural, charismatic church world, um, what we got from it too, and just our thoughts from, from our own history and testimony in that world. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Um, I saw a lot of abuse of it. You know, when... Uh, generally speaking, and I'm, I don't want to paint in broad, you know, brush strokes here, but um, I find that in a lot of charismatic contexts, a lot of the power and a lot of the authority kind of centers around one leader or a group of leaders mm. who have this kind of special anointing from God. Yeah, you know, and in some sense, like in that context, it's really difficult to um, disagree with that person because, again, because everything is kind of um, couched in supernatural language it's like what i'm saying right now is from the holy spirit what i'm what we're doing right now is from the holy so you know if you're not down with this program you must not be baptized by the holy spirit it's like a very you know it's it's like the end of the conversation you know and i've seen that happen a lot um i would say in the context that i was in you know i would go as far as to say i think the supernatural gifts were like idolized um where there was you know i actually don't ever remember the gospel being explicitly preached yeah you know it was a lot of let's let's get to the supernatural stuff you know yeah praise and um the teaching everything was like an appetite wetter for what you know the like the three-hour prayer sessions that were gonna come after that and that was like on a weekly daily basis and so um, I, I have been traumatized a little bit from that, so I'm probably a little biased too. Yeah, 
which isn't fair. We, again, if you're listening, we totally understand. So you can DM us all you want, and we'll take it. But even for me to you, I'm I'm similar with Jason. I had to get more specific. Uh, coming out of high school, I was part of a hyper charismatic missions organization for at least three years plus. Um, I was playing bass, so I would help lead worship. So I wasn't really kind of joining in through like, uh, hey, like, you know, do teachings or anything. I kind of was just put there like, oh, hey, you're good at music. My friends were the praise leaders. So I kind of just jumped into that world. And um, it was a wild world because I came from a very conservative Baptist background in a Korean church um, where, you know, again, kind of like what Jason Tom mentioned, you don't really raise your hands during worship. You're just there. And at first when I was there, I felt, oh man, this is cool. Cause everyone, you know, one strength I've seen from the charismatic church is everyone is really passionate. And like those guys like read the Bible every day, pray every day. And they, they walk the, the talk, right? They, they actually do what they're going to say. And I, at the beginning was like kind of enthralled by that and almost like, oh, this is like, this is the truth. Like my church is wrong. And as I got more deeper into it, I, the, the things that kind of traumatized me was there was essentially a ranking system of like, hey, can you, can you speak in tongues? Can you prophesy? Can you, I, at least in my context, healing was kind of the, the prime gift. Can you heal? Right. And I was like, what does that even mean? Um, so that I, as I got more deeper in, I realized like even people that were speaking two or three hour sermons, like they weren't doing any prep. They were just like, I'm anointed. Right. So like their prep was like, I'm going to pray like all day. And I was, there's a part of that. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But when I heard, you know, in retrospect and in hindsight, I was like, man, like a lot of what they said, was like, they're just, they're just rambling on the spot. Right. And a lot of it's just heavy emotions. So I just, from that, I got more and more traumatized. And I think there was a sense of like, Hey, if you're here, like you got to do this, like you got to, you got to prophesy, you got to do all these things. And they could tell I was uncomfortable. So there was already kind of this weird discomfort as I was doing these uh, praise events and kind of joining their leadership um, in in that org. So I was a little bit traumatized from that. Um, I, I think the the use of the gifts I've seen were a little bit abused. It was, I think Jason mentioned it. There was an obsession about the present physical moment, which Jesus does talk about. But when I look back in hindsight, nothing was talked about like our own, hey, the Jesus died and, and forgave you. Like I never heard that message. It was always Jesus is here in power. Jesus' kingdom is coming, which is true. But I think that could be scary without the gospel message kind of you know ingrained into that too. Was it mainly uh, when you guys went to those churches? Was it mainly tongues or prophecy or healing? Like which one was like the the gift that was emphasized? I, I agree with Eugene. I think like I think tongues was like the baseline. Uh, like, tongues got, tongues yeah. was the ticket to get in. Uh, you, you had in. to have that, right? Yep, Once yep, you got yep. tongues, you were anointed. You, not, you were like, you were like, a, like you were about you to were, get. Yeah, you were part of the program. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You're a pawn that could maybe turn into a knight. So, I, uh, at least for me, that was the the ticket to get in. I think is prophecy next, and then healing is like yeah. healing. Prophesying uh, was like the language you learn, and healing was like oh, you've like because in my org, like healing was part of exorcisms and all that, like. That was the you are anointed type of gifting. You ever hear that study they did about tongues where they no. try to figure out? Because, you know, if you really think it's an angelic language and it's a real language, then therefore it must have, you know, similarities when you hear different people speak in tongues. And so they did, a, I think it was in D.A. Carson's First Corinthians 12 to 14 study where he talked about how they recorded all these people speaking tongues and they had like these Christian linguists studying it, trying to find out like common consonants and vowels and phrases and after like studying like hours of tapes it was concluded like ah oh, there's no language like it's just like everything's just too different yeah I'm i mean i remember they there um at least at our church there was a um there was like a way they would teach you how to pray in tongues oh interesting. you know you would say like you were supposed to say like alleluia alleluia and start to make like say it as fast as you possibly could um wow. And I remember I was trying I was trying to say it really fast, but like you know I I think I had like like a mini lisp back then, so I really struggled with that. Like, what's wrong uh, with you, Jason? <laughs> Wait, Jason, did you ever like fake it a lot when you were around people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. 
you know yeah, me i mean too. i'm already approval driven like <laughs> you know as a person so yeah, yeah. oh so you guys spoke in tongues like or you tried to yeah i tried really hard because i just felt this pressure like i have to it almost felt like you're not christian and I, they didn't say that explicitly but the, the pressure was there mm. i just remember i tried so hard and i was just like yelling just on the top of my lungs, but I was just—I don't even know what I was saying back then. But you know, to their to the credit of that tribe, I think every tribe has those markers. Yeah, right. Totally. Like, you know, like if you're in a more of a conservative tribe, it's like, hey, how many Bible verses can you memorize? True. And of True. course, as helpful as that is, that's not mm. necessarily a mark of maturity. So every tribe has like these marks of you're in. Oh, now you're next level, and it's not necessarily real maturity, but we all kind of have that. And in the charismatic tribe, it seems like this is the way it's done. Yes, that's very true. And I will say, I will say in defense of some of my more charismatic friends, um, you know, I because of that experience, I kind of went to the opposite side of the spectrum. At, you know, for a while was very conservative. I was probably borderline cessationist. Um, I will say that more recently, you know, um, some of my closest friends are actually, um, you know, they raised in that tribe and still kind of practice um supernatural more supernatural gifts and like uh, in recent years some of the most like encouraging conversations i've had personally were some of those friends actually saying hey jason like i don't know i was praying for you yesterday and god gave me a word and you know and i think like 10 years ago i would have kind of rolled my eyes but i would say more recently Maybe it's because now I, I kind of got steeped in that Western scholastic, you know, super rationalized type of faith. Like it's actually been really refreshing, you know, to, even to hear people um, kind of be open like that with me. Um, yeah, speak those words of encouragement over me. And I would say depending on I've had times when people have prayed in tongues for me. I had no idea what they were saying, but depending on who the person was and i you know maybe this is the like artist creative side of me coming out but um there have been times when just having that person pray over me has been extremely comforting so you know i yeah like i would say i don't know theologically if if i'm changing or not but i will say like i'm a lot more open uh, these days to it you're a good man jason you're a good man <laughs> if someone was praying over tongue with me at the end i'd be like brother i appreciate it but you know you're supposed to be an interpreter <laughs> like paul, paul <laughs> hey, says biblical, paul says man. in first Corinthians 14 you're supposed to be an interpreter but that's biblical uh, <laughs> you're a good so man jason I, like J- jason is again the the graceful one here so we'll get into the strengths of the church um in a little bit but i think before we get into the nuances of the church i i think the, the biggest kind of theological underpinning that drives this whole debate, you know, of being charismatic or not is the use of supernatural spiritual gifts, which usually within today's context is, I think Tom mentioned, tongues, pray, uh, prophecy, healing, and I th- think exorcism or like that type of, you know, anointing or, or whatever it may be, it could be a fourth. Um, and I guess my question to you guys is, as people that are open but cautious, what are your thoughts on those giftings? Why are you open but cautious? We've talked about our personal reasons why, but maybe even, you know, theological reasons or historical reasons might be helpful for our listeners as well. Yeah, I mean, I did a deep dive into this topic because I wanted to know, like, hey, like, where do I stand? This seems to be important depending mm-hmm. on whatever church you go to. I ran into different people from charismatic tribes, went out to seminary, and I ran into people who were on the cessationist tribe. And so when I did a deep dive into it, I, I, I think I naturally would probably become a cessationist because people who are cessationists, they tend to lean more towards the scholastic, reformed, more conservative. Uh, but when I read the Bible, I'm just like, I don't see a ceasing of the gifts. And I know the arguments that, that are presented about the ceasing of the gifts, and they just did not seem to be biblical, to be honest, where the gifts yeah. have ceased after the apostolic age has ended. Like, where is that in the Bible that says it? It seems to be more based upon the predicted trajectory upon the gifts and where they're headed. And I understand, again, like the apostolic age was a special age, but 
to me, I, and I have we can talk about this later. I have theories personally on like why we see gifts in certain areas and and so forth. But uh, I just didn't see anything really biblical about that. Um, so I do believe that spiritual gifts seem to have a place in the church, even the miraculous gifts. Although I do understand the abuse that is there, but again, the abuse does not necessarily negate the use. And so even if there is a lot of abuse that's happening in churches, I don't think that necessarily negates it. And I get the feeling that it's the abuse that's driving oftentimes the cessationist to go hard against spiritual gifts. So again, to me, it's primarily what I read in the scriptures, and I don't see any indication that the gifts have ended if you want to mainly look at what the scriptures say. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I would say I meet like equally as many people on on both sides of the spectrum. You know, a lot of my friends, you know, had you know their parents um, forced them to watch TBN growing up with Benny Hinn. Um, yeah. You know, like doing his like Street Fighter, like <laughs> the best video, Emperor know, Palpatine. <laughs> yeah, not knocking you down. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Those, I mean, those, those revivals are wild, you know. And I, I, a lot of people I speak to who left the faith and become disillusioned by the faith, um, they'll all often point to those types of things and say that just that stuff is just crazy, you know. But then I'll meet just as many people actually who point to like just a, a miraculous healing or. You know, some word that was spoken over their life by a random person that was the catalyst, you know, for their faith and their exploration and, you know, of God and their relationship with God. And so, you know, I, I, I'm always cautious, um, you know, obviously kind of saying that this is one thing applies to everyone. And I'm all very cautious not to discount anyone's individual stories or their lived experiences and so yeah i think that's where like the open but cautious kind of makes sense for me because i i just i get the broad spectrum um and and a lot of the people i meet and talk to yeah no that's helpful but tom i i I think it'd be fun to hear your theories on why like the miraculous yeah yeah where where the miraculous gifts are being used yeah so when i read my bibles my bible uh, and the spiritual gifts happen, particularly tongue. Every time it happens in the book of Acts, it's always when it's a new people group. So you have it at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and they all start speaking in tongues. You have it when the apostles go and they convert people who are Samaritans. And you have it when they go and they convert people who are Gentiles. And that's mm-hmm. when the gift of tongues comes. It doesn't happen every time the apostles share the gospel. It happens when they're sharing with a new people group. And makes sense because God, when he establishes his presence, he wants to establish it with power. And there's a demonstration of that power. And one of the demonstrations is breaking down the walls between Jews and Gentiles or different people groups, because that's what the gospel is doing in the book of Acts. So when I see that, to me, when I hear about, for example, mission trips in first world countries, and you hear something crazy happen, yeah. I'm actually pretty like, hmm, that makes sense. Because if it's a group of people who have no concept of Christianity, no concept of who Jesus is, and all of a sudden something miraculous happens. To me, I'm like, I could see how that could lead people to actually be interested or to pay attention to what this Christian faith is. Versus if it happens here in America, where it's pretty Christianized, I don't really know what that would do in a country like ours. Like, I actually think uh, in a country like in the, in the first world country, if someone got possessed by the devil... I think that would make somebody actually uh, really frightened of the devil and want to run to God. Versus here in our country, if someone got possessed by the devil, I feel like that would make people go, oh my gosh, God is real. And like, they'll be like, what in the world? And so why would the devil like work that way? Like, why would he do it that way? It's going to be really different. And so to me, like when I see the way the gifts work and the way spirituality works, I think it's not going to be normative everywhere else from whatever time you're in whatever yeah. region you're in. So again, that's a completely non-biblical explanation. But to me, that's kind of what makes sense in my brain. Like, oh, if this is how God works or how the devil works, it's going to be different given the region, given the time, given the people who are there. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I, I think, you know, one theory I have is that, you know, if you, when you read Paul's letters, you know, he often talks about this, the purpose of spiritual gifts being to, 
um, exhort, to comfort the church, right? And I almost feel like, um, with the exception, obviously, of charismatic churches here in the West, um, for a large majority of churches, um, I would say that if they saw spiritual gifts start popping up in their churches, it would not be comforting to them at all. But I think it's partly it's because, um, again, we, we live in a more rationalistic culture. Yeah. Whereas I find that um, in, in, in the Far East, in places like Africa, which have a much more mystic, uh, a, a heritage of mysticism, um, I would say that that kind of spirituality would be extremely comforting. So in some sense, yeah. it, it makes me feel like, yeah, you know, the, the Holy Spirit does work um, in different ways for different kinds of people. And so yeah. I think, yeah. With that, so I, I kind of wanted to, you know, shift into talking about, we already kind of bled into this, but just the nuances of the charismatic church. And again, for those listening, more than, you know, we want to be careful. This is just a view from the other side, from a continuation side. So take that with a grain of salt as well. But, you know, we, we talked a lot about the dangers already that's been leaking from mainly me and, and Jason's kind of time in the, in the charismatic church. But I think one thing that might be helpful is us being outside of that charismatic bubble. Like, what are the strengths that you guys see um, that just kind of aid the church, the big C church um, that we're a part of, it, just in America and also in the world from the charismatic side of the church? I find that what's missing, um, like in more reformed conservative contexts, is a general sense of wonder and awe and like just mystery you know like we worship a god who is transcendent and who can't be put in a box but i find that in a lot of the context more reformed context i've been a part of um god you know we try to actually put god in a box we we kind of paint god as this being that can be understood rationally you know we can provide enough proof texts to really wrap our minds around God. Whereas I, I would say um, in in more charismatic contexts, um, you find a lot more people comfortable with mystery, you know, comfortable, you know, and, and in some ways that heightens their sense of awe and wonder um, around, you know, this incomprehensible God. And I would say that I, I find is really missing. Um, yeah, no, no I, I totally agree. I think you practically see that in the music. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. The songs that we sing generally, right outside, because Hillsong's kind of quasi in this camp. A lot of the hymns, like yes, they're very theologically rich. You get a couple of hymns where the melodies are like, uh, like oh, it's like cool, but generally charismatic music and worship music, it's it's the presence is kind of there when you're like listening to that music, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, for me being in those places and conferences, yeah, I did feel uncomfortable. But one thing I really took away was like, Oh, when they worship, these guys are in wonder and awe of God, right? Like they, the, and it's shown through their instrumentals It's shown through the, just the idea of a pad is from the charismatic church that like, it's this presence filling the room. Right. And that's just one thing like, man, like, Charismatic churches have the best creatives, right? Generally, like, let's be honest, like, reform music compared to charismatic music sucks. Like, and and that's one thing I really appreciate, like, that wonder and awe is not just in their minds, but it's lived out musically. And I, and that's one thing I, I wish our circles had more. And Jason's uh, kind of a rare breed, but I wish we just had more of that in in, in our circles as well. They're like, they're like, they're like Michael Jackson, man. Like, he's weird. Does some weird things. (laughs) Man, his music's so good. Like you just gotta, just gotta listen to it, man. Oh man, I don't know about. You might have to delete that. Okay, for sure delete that. <laughs> for sure delete that. Sorry, Jason. Take it away. You know Eugene's not gonna do it. <laughs> you gotta delete that. That was Tom. <laughs> just Thomas Way. Uh, no, I I agree though. Like of coming from the more the like the musician creative side. Yeah. The part like. You know, again, I was kind of um, most of my time in in the church was in a more reform context. So I was always having to kind of like box in my create 
box in the creativity a little bit. You know, you, they're much worse. They're not as they're not as open to nuance and artistic license. You know, um, I just find you know, and so like when we're writing, trying to write music, even for like more reformed churches, it's like. You know, I mean, sometimes you don't want to put words like propitiation in a song, you know? <laughs> it's like, do we have to Do we have to throw these theological, yeah. you know, things in there? Do you think they were like, it was kind of a, a fear of being like overly emotive? Was, did you get that sense from? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, overly emotive, overly subjective, mm-hmm. um, you know, like too me-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, and I, and I get that and having like led worship for a long time, I do see that danger of, of worship often becoming, uh, around about me, you know, and I think that's probably like a general theology that has pervaded the church itself. Yeah. But I do think like, you know, we need a, like, there's like sometimes no room, you know, for just an expression of oh, like totally. emotion. Yeah. Reform worship is more known to like set more restrictions than right, like mm-hmm. than than actually practice your creativity as God gave it to you. Like we're more concerned about is reckless love a song that we can sing at church rather than let's actually make songs. Then you know, like we're more concerned about calling these things out. And I always felt that too. Like with worship leaders I talk to, they feel like I can't be creative because that almost comes off as I'm not being orthodox. I'm not being reformed. Mm-hmm. I'm not being mm-hmm. faithful to to the churches and scriptures. And there's an element I understand totally. You know, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. But man, like the charismatic church, like one thing I I really like about the worship leaders is, yeah, they're may, maybe a little bit too free, but they're free to pr- express their creativity as God gave it to them. And mm-hmm. you can see that. Like, look at their songs compared to quote unquote our own. So, I, I yeah, I totally agree. Jason. And I think people are actually hungering for that more. Like you're seeing like the Dallas Willards and the spiritual formation, John McComer, like who tend to be a little bit more emphasizing the presence of the spirit. I think you're seeing that more and people are gravitating towards that more. So whereas I think the past decade, it was more the young, restless and reformed. There's a hunger for doctrine, a hunger for sovereignty of God. But now it's almost like, wait, there's an imbalance that kind of happened. And I think actually what you're going to be seeing the next decade or so is this emphasis on the presence of the spirits and the spirit moving. And you're kind of seeing that, I think, in the different circles that we've been kind of talking with. Yeah, Yeah, totally agree. I I would say like that that new camp that's coming out is in some sense like almost like a convergence Mm -hmm. because there is a uh, an emphasis on orthodoxy, but there is also this emphasis on like the presence mm-hmm. and and the spirit you know oh it's almost like they're like the modern day monastics almost mm-hmm. in some sense mm-hmm. you know yeah like, yeah I, one thing mark Sayers said which i think he is in that camp is like they're they're really concerned we're gonna be spirit and truth and equally important which i think is yeah i think that's biblical so um yeah i, I think that's that's one thing of the charismatic church i really appreciate so we don't want to make this the longest portion but I think all three of us have concerns as well uh, for the charismatic church from personal experience or, you know, from Tom's case, like observations too. And I think it'd be helpful. And, you know, we, we want, we want this as in a, in the most humble way possible. We don't want to come off as just completely antagonistic, but like, what are some just concerns that you have? And, and I think Tom put it well, every tribe has concerns. And I think we've done a good job at distilling some of our own. But it might be helpful just to our listeners just to kind of, okay, what are the concerns that we see within this bubble or this tribe? Uh, three things I could think of is, we, sh- we alluded to, is one, obviously the biblical foundation in the charismatic camp. A lot of it seems to be an emphasis of the spirit being present, which, you know, I think all of us are amen to that, but... How much of is there where there's a biblical foundation? For example, when you practice tongue, you, you just have to deal with First Corinthians 14. Like, how do you practice the gift of tongues in a worship service without dealing with what Paul says about the gift of tongues? And I haven't really actually heard a good defense about the open practice of the gift of tongues in light of First Corinthians 14. And so that's one concern. A second concern is kind of what we alluded to also as well, which is hmm, it tends to potentially to abusive situations where you have somebody who's anointed by the spirit, they're kind of filled with a lot of power and authority uh, and you can't really say anything in light of them being filled with the spirit. So that's obviously could be potentially unhealthy. 
Uh, but the third thing that I could notice too is I don't know how people grow up well in a camp like that, like in your 40s. Like in your teens or your 20s, I feel like, you know, that high energy, spiritual gifts, radical, you know, because usually it's a company with like radical Christian living. And in one sense, it's really inspiring and cool. But you know, once you have kids and once you're married and once you're older, I find it to be hard to actually consistently live that out with that type of like radicalness and emotions that are expressed. And not to say there aren't any people who are older who are practicing their faith that way. Uh, but I do find that those that type of Christian expression, it tends to be challenging to live a normal life in light of that, unless your life is just always like radical, 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 which I'm not sure that's actually the Christian life what it's supposed to look like. And so, or it becomes just a Sunday experience where it's like that radical experience and everything else from Monday to Saturday, it's completely different. So I'm very curious actually how people end up growing up like years into like their forties when they're in that tribe. Mm. I agree. And I observe the same thing too. Um, I think to tack some things on, I think there, you know, these days there's a lot of prophets, self, self-proclaimed prophets that have got a following online through YouTube, TikTok, or Instagram. And I find there's a heavy, heavy danger to that. Um, to say that you're prophesying, to say that your words are from directly from God. One, I think it almost allows people that find your ministry and are attracted by it to think, oh, I found a special avenue to God. Oh, I found something that supersedes the Bible. I found something that will give me the secret sauce compared to these other churches that I have. And not only that, but too, like, usually these, and, and I, I, I've done my, you know, I got the receipts. Usually these prophecies are wrong. <laughs> like, this is one thing, all right? I'm going to be like, you know, I might catch flack for this. If prophets really do exist, like, how could no prophet that I know of prophesy about COVID-19? Like, you would think that God would, like, give these people, like, I don't know, some sort of foretelling of, of this disease, but I didn't really see that. So, I don't know. I, I do feel like there's this, and, and Jason might have alluded to this, we give, the charismatic churches give authority to people that almost feels like supersedes scripture. And to Tom's point, I think that just leads to dangerous paths. And I, I found that really, really nerve-wracking in that camp when I was in it. And even as a pastor now observing people that kind of get drawn into these ministries, they feel like they found the secret way to God um, that no one else has. And it's just like, man, that's just a, a ticking time bomb of abuse waiting to happen from broken human beings that we've seen in Scripture. So, Yeah, um, just to, I mean, I agree with everything Tom and Eugene um, just said. Um, I would say a, a big thing for me would be, uh, I think a lot of times when you have a, um, when you kind of have this emphasis on experiences, uh, especially really um, extraordinary supernatural experiences, I think um, there's a huge temptation to start compartmentalizing your faith, you know, because, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, it, it, it would be, you know, kind of like the youth retreats a lot of us grew up you know going to um you have these mountaintop experiences and then you come down and you realize life is not like that all the time mm. and i think about a quote from you know one of my spiritual heroes eugene peterson who said the, w the ways of jesus are local and ordinary you know and i think um in some sense like a as a pastor like what i would like to impart on our congregation is to to see like how do you live in the way of jesus how do you embody the gospel in in all all the places you find yourself in your home in your workplace in your spheres of influence but i find that in a lot of these charismatic camps like when spirituality and your faith gets you know equated to some of these like really like wild supernatural experiences and yeah. then you go back to your day-to-day -day life and it's life is not like that you don't even know how to live as a christian in that context yeah. and i find that kind of compartmentalization very dangerous yeah no, I, I think that's helpful and again we list these concerns not to just point them out but just hopefully that it helps the church overall just observe these things and we tom said there's markers of this 
Nebby Tribe. With all that said, I think the last thing that I wanted to just chat about with you guys is like, okay, given all that we said, I think it's pretty clear. Like, it's just a medium of both is needed. And we've already touched on this too. But what are ways for us that are not charismatic that we can kind of bridge the gap that's there? That there are things that we lack that the charismatic church has. There are things that maybe the charismatic church lacks that we have. What are ways that we can bridge the gap, become more balanced in that, and, and maybe even lessons that we can learn uh, from the charismatic church for your own church ministries or just for our listeners in their own daily Christian lives too? I know one thing I've been finding to be true amongst people I talk to in my church and just even around me is they understand Christianity as a concept and a philosophy and a way of life, but not so much as a relationship with Christ that's like very present. And I, and I think, you know, we hear that cliche, like Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But I feel like do people really know what that means? Is that something that's actually real to them? Is God someone who they actually dialogue with and they actually feel his presence? And, you know, the only way you could experience that is actually through the spirit. And so I realize when I talk to people, oftentimes when we talk about the faith and the struggles with it, it's about like a concept of Christianity or the philosophy of it. But it's like, wait, but what about him being like a living person? Like, do you actually... Is that something that's some that's real in your faith where that's the struggle is you feel distant from a, a the personal relationship with God? And I do think that that's something that needs to be kind of be in the forefront more. Uh, there's the implications, obviously, of what it means if you're in a relationship with Jesus, but do you have a relationship with Jesus and do you experience his presence there? And I think talking like that more so than just the ideas or the concepts, I feel is going to have people actually confront, wait, do I really believe in God? Am I really with God? Is that even real to me? I think that one, it's, and it's hard because you, it's kind of like Jason's saying, there's not, it feels sometimes like mystical almost, and we kind of shy away from that, especially if when you come from more of a reform side. But I do feel that emphasis needs to be brought in the center of our faith a bit more, because that seems to be something that is lacking, at least from the people who I talk to. Are you, are you kind of saying like there needs to be a heavier emphasis on the spirit of the Trinity? kind of like flushed out more in our churches yeah i think um i think i mean that's a big one the spirit is some someone who we do not talk about enough in our tribes and he's still seen as like this force that's there and someone whose presence we're not aware of when we meet like on sundays or in our personal lives and so that's definitely for sure true um, but I do think you kind of have that scholastic background when it comes to the Christian faith. You, you just think of God as a conceptual thing and as mm. a philosophical idea that makes mm. sense. And I know that's how I came into it too, where it's like, oh yeah, Christianity makes the most sense, but at the end of the day, it's about a person. And do you feel like you're in love with this person, that he loves you, that you're in a relationship with him? And the only way you can experience that is actually through the spirit. And so is that something that we talk about enough? Or is that something that in our tribes we don't talk about at all? And so that's something that I feel needs to be reemphasized a bit more. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would say that, you know, to add to that, I think definitely in our tribes, like spirituality and spiritual disciplines tends to be limited to reading the Bible and prayer and a very specific kind of prayer. <laughs> Um, and I would say that I think there are some really helpful spiritual practices that actually do make us more aware of God's presence. Things like silence, solitude, um, you know, uh, at, at our church, you know, we kind of went through a season of prayer where we utilize a lot of ancient prayer practices like Lectio Divina, Prayer of Examine, some of these things that maybe seem a little bit more mystical and a little bit um, that we're not used to, but really allow people to just be open to God's presence. And I feel like we need to start incorporating some of these practices. And the feedback I receive from a lot of people were like, man, like I didn't realize there were all these different ways to pray that weren't so, or all these different ways to experience God in my life that weren't so scholastic, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, I started doing this before work at my desk, you know, every morning. And it, you know, these things that can be actually 
implemented into our daily routines, I think would would really help um, a lot of our people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that's spot on what Jason just said. Um, I think for me, if I would add anything, um, I, the charismatic f- friends that I know still, I feel like they are able to connect kind of like what Tom mentioned. God is a concept and embody that into a reality. So for example, like the scholastic part, I think you guys mentioned well, but another side of it too is like within our circles, we compartmentalize our spiritual life so much and so well that even our prayer requests are just on the spiritual compartment, you know, like, Hey, just pray for my Bible reading, you know, like, or, or, Oh man, pray for like, you know, I, you know, church service has been hard and like, you know, I, I need, you know, I need, I need to serve a little harder, which I'm not saying is bad, but I do think there's this element missing where we take these gospel truths that we as a church have taught really well and embody them past the church bubble into like real life right and you know the concerns that i have with the charismatic church is maybe they take it too far um but they at least go there like they will hey like i've been talking to my coworker, and you know for them it's like i'm going to heal them you know whatever it may be but like can we learn how to do that and not make it cheesy and not make it weird you know one thing about charismatic worship music is it's not cheesy <laughs> like it, it, it's it's uh, some parts of it can be but like it, it's free-flowing and i think that comes from this natural I'm going to embody the truths I know about God into this musical reality. And I just wish we could learn how to do that better. I don't know how to do that because we've taught, we've been taught to do that scholastically. Um, so I think that's just one thing I wish we can glean more from that church side too. Yeah. The praise thing is so interesting. It's like you're hearing their personal experience with God versus I feel like in our camp, like when it's more reformed, you're you're kind of almost experiencing someone else's experience with God, like through their worship, you know? Yes. Because they're re they're kind of like modernizing like the Psalms and so which is all good, you know, of course you want to be biblical, but it's not like personal and you kind of feel it out in the music. So that's so which fascinating. Which the Psalms were in their yes, own. Yes, the Psalms itself, it's like, man, you just feel David like expressing himself. But like in the worship songs, it's like, oh, you're you're you know, reiterating what someone else is feeling. That's so true. But like, yeah, yeah but the charismatic can't like, man, it's like, you know, they they experience something with God right there. Yeah. So if there's any charismatic worship leaders that want to come over, <laughs> let, let us know. Yeah, you just, you just can't go too long, man. You guys, go, you guys, you guys go way too long. It's so long. Yeah. Repetitive courses hey, are the one thing hey, about charismatic. It's so long. Like, hey, like I love oceans, but like that bridge should just be sung once and we're good. But uh, anyways, um, yeah, thanks. We hope that episode was helpful. Um, but yeah, so again, if you're charismatic, this this wasn't an uh, episode to try and attack. We really want to learn. So again, like we said, bridge that gap too. So if you are charismatic, and yeah, feel free to DM us and we'd love to even converse more. But other than that, any last shout outs for you guys as we end this episode? Shout out to Devin Booker. I'm so sad. Hey, LeBron quit, man. Sad to see. He's hurt. He's hurt. He's injured. Yeah, inside. Uh, <laughs> but, but hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we really appreciate all your listens. If you could like, comment, or subscribe on any of our platforms, we really appreciate it. But yeah, thanks for listening, and we hope to see you in our next episode.